Hello and welcome, everybody. Welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name's Tim, and this is Joy. And I hope everyone is having a happy and prosperous new year at this early juncture in January. Um, I've been having a great time. I don't know about you, Joy. How about you? Well, I made the mistake of working this Monday and I regret it, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the holidays are weird, Tim. From like, you know what I mean? Even like right after post New Year's, everybody, nobody knows where their brain is. It's just gone. No, it's all over the place. And I've said before, not even NASA would be able to tell you what day the, the bins are supposed to go out. Nope. And that happened to us on Thanksgiving, too, because, like, our normal day is Wednesday, but it was, like, pre-Thanksgiving, so they didn't run. So then my trash can was overflowing. You know, it's just a first world problem, really. It's, it's a whole thing. Nobody knows. And then the, the town puts it up on their website or something, and it still doesn't make <laughs> any sense. Nobody looks they, at that. Yeah. And, like, if, if you're supposed to have a collection on a Tuesday, that will be on the, the following Monday. And if you're supposed to have it on the Monday, that will go. And it's just like. <laughs> yeah, so to create a graph, like, you're trying to figure out who the serial killer is. Okay, so Tuesday meets Wednesday. But what if my recycling's only on Wednesday? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it's too much. <laughs> do you know what they should do? They should just say, we're not going to collect anything from like Christmas Eve to, to three days after New Year's Day. You're going to have to deal with that. And we'll, we'll connect you on the next one. That's what they should do. Honestly, it makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so what else is going on, Tim? Anything interesting? Uh, the only other thing interesting is I'm currently building a plastic kit model of mm. Moonraker 5. That is interesting to Tim and everybody else, right? Well, I no. haven't built a model from a kit. <laughs> I just call it about. It's yeah. funny. I haven't built a model from a kit ever since I was a kid, and I wasn't mm. very good at it. But I bought a little box of tools from Amazon for $10, and it has an X-Acto knife in there and all the sanding stuff. And I've just built a few bits today, and it's just like, look at this. It comes out so well. You know who you need to call, who is a um, a no-name music cast aficionado, but also maybe my father, and may go by one Jim Morrison. My father used to build the, you know, the um, like the ships in a bottle, like where you have to, like, push the little thing through and actually. Do you know something about Tim? Like how yeah, complicated yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Dad used to do those. So, you know, just call Jim Morrison because you've got him on speed dial. He'll help you. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, the ship and the bottle thing is fascinating because you have to build them flat and then mm -hmm. you put them in the bottle and then you have to raise the sails. It's very, very interesting. So sadly, because when I was a sophomore in high school, which would have been about 15 years old for those who aren't American, my house burned down. But my dad, um, he used to build those like we had a, quite a few of them and he would, you know, take the little tweezers and have to build them from the bottom up. But we had all kinds of them all over the house because he built them. Oh, wow. There you go, Dad. There's a uh, shout out for the week. <laughs> there we are. Very, very, very cool. Very cool indeed. Okay. So, Joy, I understand you have a local band of the week. Well, I'm going to do the lazy route. And the local band of the week is Tim's local band. <laughs> <laughs> so I have about five questions. I'm going to ask Tim about the band he's in and let him explain. So, first of all, Tim, the most obvious question is, what band are you in and what kind of music do you guys do? Okay, I'm in a band called Flager Hill. Um, I've been in that band for about two and a half years now, I suppose, something around that kind of era, two, two to two and a half years. And mm -hmm. we play um, some country music, some rock, uh, some stuff that you would like party music, if you will. It's yeah. just it's just music that around here um, that's popular, that people like to dance to, people like to listen to. We, we try not to play all the obvious songs that every other cover band does. So we don't do Mustang, Sally, Brown Eyed Girl, 
that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we place we hint at some of the uh, more popular songs that people like to listen to. All right, Tim. So here's another question for you. What is your favorite song that you play? Um, one or two. I one song I like is Modern Day Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, that's a good one. Which is a that. which is a country song. And yeah. I don't know, it has a it has a really good guitar part that I get to play. Bill Williams, the singer of the band, absolutely kills it on that, that song. I mean, he's a fantastic singer and he and he kills it on all the songs, but I like the way he does it. And also there's a line in that song where where it says, I'm gassing up my firebird. And that makes me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Such a specific moment. So looking back when you played with this band, there's probably been a lot of great moments. If you ever watched Tim play, it's really funny, guys. He moves more than you would think because you don't think of Tim as like somebody who's like dancing if you know him personally. But he moves. He grooves with his guitar. It's very interesting. He also doesn't wear his glasses when he plays, which I thought was interesting, too, probably because he would lose them. And he wears a lot of Converse or what looks like Converse. I have not confirmed or denied that. But of all those little things that you do, Tim, and all the things with the band, is there any one memory that stands out to you that you're like, this is one of my favorite moments? Um, I mean, we've had some very good moments. I mean, even just at the very beginning of the band, get finding those guys, getting to play with, play with those people who are all fantastic musicians and finding people that you really kind of grooved with and it came together. Mm -hmm. um, playing at Elmwood Park in Roanoke, played there a few times on that nice big stage there is absolutely fantastic. And likewise, we played at Dr. Pepper Park in Roanoke. Which well, has had a lot of other people play. Like, yeah, famous, lots yeah, of people. We, people we've, yeah, we played there twice. Sorry. And again, that is, a, yeah, that is a really nice stage. And um, getting get to work with a professional sound crew on a nice big, big stage. It's, it's cool. I, I like that. But I think for me, the, 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 one of the things I really enjoy is going out every single weekend with those guys and playing venues and playing really good music <laughs> and just really enjoying it. I just like it when you're on, you know, when you're on stage, you're a few songs in all the sound gremlins have been sorted out, just getting to rock out. It's cool. I mean, that's fantastic. And if you know anything about Tim, this is like his livelihood. Yeah. He's an IT person by day, but that's kind of meh. Got to pay the bills. So, Tim, if there was one thing that you could add to your set list or one song, if your band members would listen to this, you wish they'd be like, yeah, let's do it. What would you pick? Mm, I'd like to do a couple of Queen songs. Mm. And I think we, we spoke about doing Fat Bottom Girls and we, I think we jammed it and it didn't quite suit the band right. But I mean, if it was up to me, I'd like to do something like One Vision or something like that. Well... I'm trying to think of what I know about your band. It's heard them play twice, but I don't know. I'd have to kind of hear it all together. Well, if you're listening to band members, there's your hint. Also, I know you've got a few YouTube videos up and different things of your band. If you could recommend to any of our listeners which venue, which YouTube video of your band, what would you tell them to go listen to? Well, I would find the uh, I can't even speak today. I would find the Flager Hill, hard to say, YouTube page. <laughs> and if you go on the Flager Hill YouTube page, there is a dozen or so videos. Most mm -hmm. of them are from Dr. Pepper Park or from Elmwood Park. And they, they, they all come out very well because what I did is I synchronized the sound from the mixing desk with the video that was shot. And in fact, the Dr. Pepper Park footage was multi-camera where lots mm -hmm. of people in the audience were taking um, videos of that gig and I cut between them and I synced the whole thing together. So it's kind of cool. So I would say certainly seek out the uh, the ones from Dr. Pepper Park. So I was very proud of how that came out. Purely from a uh, mixing and editing perspective, if nothing else. 
which Tim is very talented at because he has to knock out all of my times I hit a desk or knock my monitor over, you know, spill water all over, <laughs> so whatever. Things happen. So with that being said, that is my little, um, I guess, local band of the week because we know somebody who's in a local band. Um, and with that, I guess we'll go right into my little segment, which is completely biased because I'm just going to ask Tim another question <laughs> <laughs> that I was thinking about. So I had a thought. And me and Tim have talked about this a lot. Tim is, you know, he's lived in other countries. We both enjoy our travel. Tim just went to Canada. Joy was just in New York City. This is like our thing. You know, Joy went to Greece just a few years ago. Tim's from the UK. We discuss all these things. But here's my question. And I was trying to think of from my perspective, and I'll answer after Tim answers. If money wasn't an option, if my job wasn't in the way, and I don't be that a bad way. I appreciate my job. But I didn't have to take that into account when I was making plans. If you could plan a trip anywhere right now, Tim, with none of that being an issue, COVID, money, whatever it is, where would you go? I think I can think of three places. Okay. Three places. The first place I would go to is I would go back to Vegas. It's been a number mm. of years since I've been there. I love Vegas. I love the ridiculousness of Vegas. It is the best and the worst of the United States in five miles, effectively. <laughs> I would stay in an incredibly expensive hotel. I would see all the shows. I'd eat in some fancy restaurants all the time I was there and have an absolute great blowout Vegas trip that you wouldn't have to worry about your budget, which normally when you go to Vegas, you can only maybe do one or two shows or you can't eat at fancy restaurants or you can't do all the things. But that's what I do. I would... The yeah. casino bar or something. <laughs> exactly. So I would start there. That's the first okay. place I would go to. The, then I'd leave Vegas from, it's not McCarran anymore. It's called something else, but the airport in Vegas would leave there. Oh, okay. Um, I would then go to Japan. Hmm. See, I've got the Asia thing in my, my eyesight too, man. Yeah, I go to Japan, go to Tokyo. It seems absolutely fascinating. I'd like to get fully absorbed in the culture. There's so much cool stuff to see. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you, you see videos of uh, Japan and Tokyo and stuff like that, but I'd really like to experience what that culture is like in real life. I bet life. Hannah would really love that one too. Yes, she would, she would absolutely love that too. And then on the way out of Japan, we would uh, pop to Hawaii. Mm. There'd be two key things to do in Hawaii. One... Okay will be two or well, three actually one rent a red ferrari two <laughs> <laughs> drive, I that. yeah drive to higgins's estate from magnum and just see that in the red ferrari and then find a volcano because hannah's ambition is to stare into the eye of a volcano wait wasn't there just a volcano in hawaii that erupted yeah absolutely very 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 <laughs> recently like just like we just gave away the window of time. But anyway, so there was a volcano that erupted. Continue. <laughs> okay. So we would go to Hawaii and then get on the plane in Hawaii. And then I would like to go back to Australia because I haven't been there mm -hmm. since 1998. And I only saw a very small part of Western Australia. And I was there for a couple of weeks staying with my relatives. And I would like to go there because I haven't seen my uncle in decades. Oh, smart. And I'd like to maybe visit some different places when I was there. I really enjoyed my time there. And, you know, distance and budget dictates that doing an Australia trip may not happen, at least for a little while. So in this dream scenario, <laughs> that's what I would do. So for me, so I would do one thing that Tim would probably not do because I feel like he's done it a little bit more. So I've done the UK thing. It's not 
to insult you guys. I've been to England. I've been to France. I've been to Germany. I've been to Spain. I've been to Greece, right? So those have kind of hit those moments. I'd love to go back. It's nothing insulting. But if I'm going to go on this trip, I want something a little different. Um, I'm going to go to Amsterdam. I've never been to the Netherlands. Hmm. I've, I've I'd been be to, very interested. I've been to the Netherlands a number of times because it's very easy to drive there. Now, I've never yeah. been to um, Amsterdam. I've been to Nijmegen, which is a uh, it was not as big as Amsterdam, but, you know, it's a, it's a town, that kind of idea. And I have seen with my own eyes one of these coffee shops <laughs> and it was a, a thoroughly uh, entertaining uh, thing. Well, it's also that like you get this lot of perspective and whether it's true or not. And I'm sure Tim's hardly statistics. They have the happiest people in the world. You hear this constantly, right? You hear that, that the Netherlands, I would want to go to the Netherlands because I just feel like it'd be a different experience. The fact that they don't seem to rely on cars very much. I'd love to see the bicycles. I want to see the canals. I want to see all that. So that would be my first stop. And that's just because it's strictly different than anywhere else. Would you say that the Netherlands have a different feel than the regular UK, Tim? Absolutely. I mean, I've met folks who play in bands there. Uh, I've said I've been to the Netherlands many times. And it's just, yeah, it seems to be a lot more chilled, a lot more laid back. And you're right, in the big cities, it's just bicycles everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I want to experience that. And then Tim hit on the other thing, is I want to go to Asia. I probably... Japan would be my first my first little stop, even if it's Tokyo or whatever. I'll go to the mainstream areas, whatever it may be. Um, Tim's husband, Tim's husband, <laughs> Tim's wife and my husband are both into anime, which is why I said Hannah would probably love it. Charlie's big into anime, so he's got a lot of, you know, he loves kind of the Asian culture. He's very interested in it. But also, like Tim was saying, it's just different. Just want to experience the difference. If I had to pick a third place, I'd probably go to India, too, mm -hmm. which is also in Asia, but... Yeah, India would, would be cool. But, you know, seeing the Taj Mahal with your own eyes would be absolutely fascinating. And I think as well, knowing a lot of people who've come from India, it seems to be very polarizing. You get areas mm -hmm. that are incredibly well-to-do and, and built up, you know, modern cities, and then you haven't got to go far to see amazing poverty. There seems, yes. to, be, there seems to be huge. And, you know, seeing that mm -hmm. kind of stuff with your own eyes really does open, open you to what, what's happening in the world. And this is why you should travel. But also because this is going to sound so, somebody out there is going to be like, oh my God, Joy, really? It's fine. Judge me later, internet. Don't come for me. But one thing is I want to see the car road situation. Because when you see pictures of like these literal 50 lanes, it looks like, and everybody's going crazy. And then there's somebody over here with a horse and buggy trying to drive and the same thing that the bus is going on. I really want to see the car situation in India. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean, Tim? Like you ever seen the pictures? It's very interesting to me because like in America, we're so particular about your car, getting your inspection, safety, all these things. And it feels like when you look at some of these other countries, I'm like, that can't be safe, but also like that guy's doing it. That's pretty props. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I think if you go to somewhere like Mumbai, it's probably set up much like any other city in the world. Yeah. But you're right. Whenever you see these places, maybe just outside of the big cities, it seems to be like the roads are a complete free for all. There's no actual direction defined. <laughs> and like you say, people are driving here, there and everywhere, all different ways. And there's like, livestock and there's vehicles and there's all kinds of stuff going on. So that's very small of the grand scheme of things, but I'd really like to see it. So anyway, that is my question for Tim of the day. We both answered it and that's all I have. And I'm ready to roll into the episode if you're good, Tim. 
Absolutely. So this week, it's Joy's turn to pick the topic. I know she's incredibly excited about it, but I don't know what it is. So over to you, Joy. So the reason I asked about trips and going places and places you've been is this episode is very uh, tailored to the podcast. We're going to discuss, and I will say there will be no rhyme or reason to the things I say. That's probably not shocking anyone in the sense of order. But it is an episode that's discussing the difference in music that's popular in the UK and America. Ah, okay. So I did some research. Now, given there is not 100% sold on it, like there's not nothing solid to explain some of the things me and Tim have discussed, but there are some interesting facts, different things, different musicians, whatever. So I found this super interesting. So the first thing I'm going to bring up is a graphic. It is a, they did a top favorite musician genres among Americans and Brits. So this will be a very heavily kind of, England-based one, and that's just because that's what the trivia was. So for those of us in the other sides of the UK, it's probably about the same. So in Great Britain, the, and there was an interesting thing. It said between men and women, it was a little bit different, but it was a very small scope. Great Britain, Tim's talked about like the top 40, that pop thing that like dominated the charts when he was younger. 43% of people in Great Britain said pop was their favorite, but it was only 34% in America. Whereas rock, classic rock, hard rock was 37% in um, Great Britain, whereas 48% in America. And Tim has talked about that a lot. So I'll let him kind of talk about he's noticed those nuances, I think, as he's went from between both places. Sure. Because, like, growing up in England, there was no such thing as a classic rock radio station. And I'm talking before DAB, before satellite radio. I do don't have satellite radio in the UK, but um, mm-hmm. before... Uh, digital services, multi-channel, everything. When you just had AM, FM radio, and that's all you had, there was no classic rock radio at all. And most commercial radio stations, all they would play is your top 40 rotation. And as a result of that, despite all these amazing rock bands coming from the UK, they're not widely played. So... Growing up, I was not aware of Led Zeppelin. I was not aware of really The Who. I was not aware of Deep Purple, Judas Priest. All these iconic rock bands never got airplay, but they played Mel and Kim and Stock Aitken and Waterman music and uh, Sonia and the Reynolds girls who we've covered before and <laughs> Whitney Where Houston. They and, yeah, they played all that stuff on, on firm rotation. And as and as a result of that, even your broadcast TV channels, you know, when you back when you just had four TV channels, yeah, you might have a late night old grey whistle test that might have Leonard Skinner on it or something. But typically there was no exposure to rock. So it doesn't surprise me that ingrained in the culture, people are only about the pop music. So playing on another thing me and Tim have discussed, and he's just learned a little bit more of it as he's become an American citizen, is country music is significantly more popular in the United States, with a third of Americans, 33%, choosing that genre as one they'd like to they would like to enjoy, listen to, whatever, maybe not their favorite, but 33% of Americans said they enjoy country music. It was only 25% for the UK. Yeah, and again, growing up, I had zero exposure to country music. Um, the only kind of country music you'd ever hear is maybe occasionally like your Kenny Rogers, your Dolly Parton, uh, your Willie Nelson, 
those kind of titans of country you would hear. But one thing that surprised me when I came here and I started playing in clubs and bars and stuff, and they were playing this new contemporary country that seems to be so popular now. I was mm-hmm. like, this, it just sounds to my ear, it just sounds like rock music with a banjo and a fiddle in it, which it probably I is. Know. But when I left in 2011, that stuff wasn't being played anywhere. It just wasn't a thing. And like all these artists, no one was listening to that. And I think it's a little different now with multi-channel and DAB radio and And streaming services and internet and all that kind of stuff. But again, growing up in England, zero exposure to country music. So on the flip side, the one song that did simultaneously top the both charts in the United States in the UK was John Travolta and Olivia and John's You're the One I Want, June 17th, 1978. Now, that doesn't surprise me, but certainly because uh, the film it came from was so amazingly huge. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, Greece has gone on to do stage shows and spin-offs and all this kind of stuff. The Bee Gees were such a movement in both countries. I get it. Because for those who don't know, Bee Gees were the music for a lot of this. It probably granted a lot of attraction because the Bee Gees was behind a lot of this music. I don't know for sure if they're the ones who wrote You're the One I Want. If I'm wrong about that, don't come for me. I'm just saying they wrote a lot of music that made it into that movie. And they also sang in the opening track. So thank you to Gibbs Brothers, as me and Tim have said. They may be boring as a box of rocks that could write some music. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> I was watching today, every Christmas, there's a bunch of TV shows I always watch. And I watch <laughs> a game show called Shooting Stars, features Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer. And yeah. I always watch the Christmas episodes at Christmas time. <laughs> and there's one with one of the Bee Gees, and I can't remember who it is. I think it's Robin Gibb. Probably. That- that man not, has Barry no... has the big hair, so you'll yeah. know. And it was from the 90s, but True. that man has no sense of humor whatsoever. It's a comedy show with two wacky people doing stupid things, and you either get it or you don't. And he just has <laughs> but play, no... even if you don't, pretend like you do. Yeah. You're on TV. And, oh, goodness me, he's just got no sense of humor. He's so dry and so awkward. So I watched one. There's this famous one where they sing emotions, him and his brothers um, on stage. And like, they're so it's so funny because the dichotomy from when they're speaking to when they're singing is two different things for two people who can write some of the best music. We know emotions is a gorgeous heartfelt song. I even like the later renditions. Other people have done great song, right? But it goes from them just being like, Nails on a chalkboard. I don't want to say nails on a chalkboard. That's not that. I'm sorry. More like paint thinning, uh, drying on the wall level of entertainment to the most emotion-filled, gorgeous harmonies you've ever heard. And it's just so funny because, like, they go from one to the other, and you're like, how? How are they so able to go from this side of the spectrum to this side of the spectrum? I tell you, I, I remember. Know. I remember as a kid. The, I think it was all the Bee Gees when they were alive. Yeah. They were being interviewed on a TV show by a guy called Clive Anderson, who was a yeah. British TV interviewer type from the 80s, probably from the ni- early 90s, actually. Okay. And I remember as a kid, they was on there, and this interview was not going well. And they mm-hmm. just walked off the show. It was a live show. And they just like, no, we're not going to answer that. And they just walked off. I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, 
I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know. They tend to make some of the best, most emotional, heartfelt music, but would they have to put, maybe it just goes to show you music transcends. I don't know, Tim, that's all I can say. I mean, it could be, or they're just deeply unpleasant people that make really great music. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that could be that too. If any of them are listening, me and Tim will be happy to have you on the show. Well, I think that is not yourself. I think there's only one BG left. Yes, I think. there is. There is, sadly. But if you're listening, <laughs> and then Andy, their poor brother, he didn't have a bad, he had some bad luck there too. So anyway, back to, we'll focus on this, but there's me and Tim's theories on the Bee Gees. So I was going down this rabbit hole. It was a huge rabbit hole. One interesting thing I came across, Tim, and I wanted to bring it up to you because it's such a weird thing to think about. But I didn't realize it. The biggest bands in the world are British. The biggest solo artists in the world are from America or Ooh. North America. So you guys are somebody out there going, that's not true. Let me explain. So if you take the top, this was an actual article that was done where they did a lot of studies on it and things like that. You take the top 20 artists in order. The Beatles, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Led Zeppelin, Elton John, Pink Floyd, Mariah Carey, Celine Dion, ACDC, Whitney Houston, The Rolling Stones, Queen, Abbott, Eagles, YouTube, Billy Joel, Bill Collins, Aerosmith, Frank Sinatra, Barbara Streisand. The list is perfectly split between 10 solo artists and 10 groups. Eight of the 10 solo artists are American. Well, North American. That doesn't always could be somebody from Canada. Mm -hmm. While 10 of the bands are from outside of America, with the majority being British. The strongest contender for America with the bands is the Eagles, right? Mm -hmm. But so if you listen, if you go through that list in your head, you're sitting there going, that's true. So there's a thing that they were like, you know, is it a political, is it a socioeconomical thing? What is the reason for that? Because you've got Queen, you've got the Beatles. Like those are both British bands, you know, they got Michael Jackson, he's from America. Right. Celine mm -hmm. Dion, she's from Canada, North America. So what they're saying is what's interesting about that is when you look at the greatest selling out, like the greatest selling people from back in the day, the UK had the Beatles to look up to. America had Elvis. Mm. And they said that they feel that that actually transcend. So what well, you know, you're thinking, is there some ideology where the UK thinks about the band side of it more and where America thinks is like, you know, the one person because, you know, we're big on our underdogs and you can do it type stuff in America. But no, they're saying that what they're they're guessing and they looked at it through other genres. They looked at it through country music and they saw the same thing happening. Hmm. And they're saying that for some reason, because the UK's um, history Back in the day, and the Beatles is an example. There's probably other artists that they said it started out in the UK music scene. It was bands and everybody in the UK wanted to be in a band. Whereas in America, we tend to pick our idols and everybody wanted to be them. I wonder whether it's also in the United the States, even from, you know, years and years and years ago, marketing, advertising was a huge thing. Because like in England, mm -hmm. back in the early days of broadcasting, there was no marketing. There was no advertising. Even, even before you had TV, you had BBC Radio, which didn't carry advertising. In the early days of television, you sure had BBC do. TV, which didn't carry advertising. Yet in the United States, from those very early days, everything was ready to be sold. And you, you had advertising and brought to you an association, all this kind of stuff. And I just wonder whether that whole kind of mindset of packaging 
and mm-hmm. advertising. Elvis was that kind of package, right? Yeah, it's in the mindset. Whereas in England, mm-hmm. it was more homegrown, if you will, where some guys or girls or whoever would get together and make a band. And then if that got popular, they would get picked up by a record company and, you know, then they become a band. Whereas here, the product was the, was the goal early because it could be sold. Possibly. The other thing they said is it could be a political thing, too. So Europeans tend to be more left-leaning, whereas Americans don't necessarily tend to be that left-leaning. And in kind of, I don't want to say a socialist society. Don't come for me, Internet. I don't think the UK is socialist. That's not what I'm saying. But in a society that tends to be more left-leaning, you tend to be, this is just the theories from the article I was reading, they Mm -hmm. tend to be more... What's the word I'm looking for? They tend to be more like, let's all do it together. Do you know what I mean? We could do this all together. Whereas in America, we tend to be kind of like, yeah, I could do this on my own. I got this. Pull myself up by my bootstraps. So that was another thought. But it's kind of interesting. I had never put it out on paper like that. Have you ever thought about it like that before, Tim? No, not not really. Um, I'd never really broken down solo artists against bands and and where they came from. But now now I come to think of it, all of your icons – the, the solo singers, mostly, like you say, were, Elvis, were, were from Jackson, the United Madonna. Yeah, I mean, you even you even have to look at the um, "We Are the World" against mm-hmm. US uh, against the UK um, Band Aid. "We Are the World" is nearly all solo artists, give or take. I think you've got Steve Perry in there, and there's a few others, but for the most part, all yeah. those featured people are all solo artists. And then, if you look at the uh, Band Aid one, the UK one. I think apart from Sting, but he, you know, he was fresh off being in the police. I say he was in the police, yeah. Yeah, everyone else there, I believe, even George Michael at the time was in Wham. Everyone in there was in a band. It's just so interesting. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything either way. I'm not trying to judge anyone's music taste. I just thought that was super cool because me and Tim, it's just weird for us because Tim will say something and he assumes I know. And then I'll say something to Tim and I assume he knows. And then we stare at each other and we're like, what are you talking about? And then we have to explain it. So from our perspective, I just thought it was really cool. The other thing they talked about is I talked about the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. So if you look at Elvis, you look at Michael Jackson, you look at Madonna, they all came from like a rags to riches kind of situation. And that seems to be what Tim would say, a really nice thing in America to put in a little bottle and package and market, right? Mm -hmm. That's an option too. But then... I also see, you know, the scrappy young boys from, I don't know, someplace in England. I'm not going to try to say anything because I I don't know. But Liverpool or something. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever they are from. Hounslow. Whatever Tim says. They all sound like candies to me. (laughs) Who came from Hounslow? Hard five. Well, I came from Felton. Whatever, Tim. Yeah, whatever. Piccadilly Circus or something. I don't know. That's a place. That's not where they're coming from. Uh, we had this conversation the other night for those who did not attend our Zoom, judging you. But I had this conversation with Tim and a fellow listener about how sometimes Tim says things in the UK and it all sounds like pieces of candy to me. Like, it literally sounds like you're talking about the pe- name candy. And I'm like, that can't be real. That's not a real thing. Tim's like, yeah. And I'm like, are you sure? like it all sounds like it should be like either at a kid's show or like you're telling me about like a twizzler or something (laughs) i'm judging all the uk members right now all right anyway so back to the the only but what was also interesting and i'm just gonna bring it up now tim it was gonna come up later elton john Mm -hmm. he's a staple across the board 
But what I learned about Mr. Reginald Dwight, he is from the UK, but he made it in America before he made it in the UK. Yeah, I know that because if you've artist. seen, yeah, if you've seen the film Rocket Man, they actually depict the scene at the Troubadour Club in Los Angeles mm-hmm. where he he had his first big break. And yes, he uh, he is from Windsor, and um, you know he's a famous British musician. But you're right; it seemed to be the United States launched him into superstardom. Now, of course, he's equally massive on both sides of the yeah. Atlantic. And in now, fact, Elton, yeah, in fact, Elton John is just massive throughout throughout the entire world. Well, and if, when we get to it, the greatest selling song in the UK is still his version of Candle in the Wind for um, Princess Diana in the mm-hmm. UK. So yes. that's, I mean, that's an example. And it was number two in America, but it wasn't the Princess Diana version. It's the um, Marilyn Monroe version or Norma Jean. But still, so he's equally famous. But what was interesting is uh, we talked about this in the Elton Job episode after I went and saw his concert. I didn't know that. I just assumed he's Elton John. He's great everywhere. Everybody loves him, right? Mm-hmm. You just think that. But when we went to his concert, because it's his final final concert tour, he said, the reason I wanted to end the concert in America is because you guys paid me. So that, to me, was very interesting because I never heard. The, I mean, I watched the movie, Tim, but I don't think it registered with me in Rocketman. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It just didn't register with me until I heard him say that. So then when I went down this rabbit hole, basically... Released in the U.S. on April 10th, the first album, Border Song, cracked the 100. John started playing shows in America and opened for acts like Three Dogs Night. The band covered John's Your Song, um, but they didn't want to put it as a single because they wanted John to do it. And Your Song became, it was on the B-side, but for some reason, American DJs loved it. And started playing it, and it quickly moved to number eight, got him his first Grammy, and then eventually, Initially, in the UK, it moved to number seven on their charts, and then he got, what's the um, equivalent to a Grammy in the UK, Tim? You've said it before. It would be a Brit Award. That that was obvious. I thought it was going to be like a piece of candy, like, gobba gobba gobba. <laughs> you thought it was going to be an Aero Award or a Yorkie Award. <laughs> I don't know. Why did I say it like that? Gobba gobba gobba. Or a Lion Bar Award or a Topic Award. <laughs> please, or a Bounty Award. Then, please. Or a Caramac Award. <laughs> please isolate the audio and be going, gobba gobba gobba. <laughs> like, that's, like, you guys aren't speaking English because you totally are better than I am. Have you heard the way I say it? <laughs> I'm never gonna live that one down. That's on the internet forever. I hate my life. All right, I love it, but I hate it. <laughs> let, 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 let me let, let me tell you the. Uh, I may be isolating that, and you know, Control C, and then we'll dump it somewhere else. Um, it might come in handy. Who knows? Oh, okay. Well, anyway, back to the episode because I'm never gonna live that down. All right. So when the next thing I did was I went through some artists that we've talked about that have either come up and I thought they were kind of one hit wonders. And Tim's like, nah, they got like 74 songs. And I'm like, what? Those type episodes. So episodes, those type artists. So anyway, the kinks. So basically the kinks are a band that I associate with like one song. They were very quintessential sixties perhaps. um, But the pair, they were much bigger in the UK. So they had three um, number one singles and five albums in the top 10 in the UK. Um, you really got me is the only song in Lola that made it in America. Mm-hmm. I would I don't know anything else outside of them. I know they've got some cool guitar riffs and you really got me because I play that on Guitar Hero occasionally. But other than that, I don't know. Um, so but what they say is so this was an interesting thing. It tells you what went wrong, Tim, because you know, we always wonder why. 
Mm-hmm. So what they're saying is when Ray Davies was introduced into the American Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2014, he remarked it was a big deal because America has finally accepted the Kinks. The Kinks were banned from touring in America. Did you know that? I didn't know that. So from 1965, this is crazy to me, mind-boggling, Tim, and I want to hear your opinion on From 1965 to 1969, which is like their major, you know, their 60s band, they were had a reputation for fighting at their show. Talking to the Irish radio station Newstalk, Davey summed up the situation pretty well. When he put it, the band, controversial band, bad luck, bad, bad management, bad behavior. I have never once. So, I mean, I love me some Foggy Molly. I love me some, you know, Irish bands and things like that that I associate, maybe even like a Metallica or a Black Sabbath. But who's fighting at a Kinks concert? I, I, I don't know. I mean, so, some of their songs, you know, have a little bit of uh, angst behind them, but but it's not a metal band. It's the Kinks, for goodness sake. <laughs> like, I want to know because we're going to go watch the Kinks. And when we go there, we're going to fight. I can't imagine thrashing a girl. You really can't. Be I just can't. It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's it's very bizarre. But but as I think I've mentioned a few episodes back, thing is with the Kinks, they have an incredibly loyal following, and mm. they've released dozens of albums. An interesting fact: Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, is a Kinks superfan. Hmm. Well, I do think they've become, like you're saying now, I almost still like, you know, when movies get like a cult cl- uh, following, I feel like the Kings have a cult following now. It's yeah, a very but, interesting thing. Yeah. And I, th- I think, uh, I think one, at least one of the Davies brothers is still out there getting it done. I'm not entirely sure, but um, I, I, sh- I think they're still releasing new music. But yeah, I mean, they, the names are certainly more iconic now than they were back then. So another band, and I don't know these this band at all, so I'm hoping Tim knows this band. Have you ever heard of a band called the Stone Roses? Yeah, absolutely. They they were, um, what would you call it? Kind of like shoegaze music. It's like on the on the what? edge of edge of Britpop, sort of. Did you say shoegaze? Like you're looking at a shoe? Yeah, it was that kind of era of songs where it was probably prior to the Britpop era. Where yeah. people were like playing that kind of the kind of music that the Stone Roses is, and it's called shoegaze because people would stand on stage playing their guitar with their head bunked over and just strumming. I've never heard that before. I'm just learning a lot. All right, so apparently these shoegazers. It makes sense though because that kind of emo. I get it. But when he first said it, I'm like, did I hear that right? <laughs> All right. So anyway, apparently they headlined at Coachella in 2013. Which you think would mean that they were massive in America, but in fact, the show is surprisingly sparse, where the reports rely on that one could easily walk across the stage and maybe 15 people appeared. So, for those Americans like me, I, I've never heard of them. So, their biggest UK success, where they had four albums in the UK, including a greatest hits compilation, um, which charted three times, between, and then they had their debut album, which charted three times between 89 and 2009. Okay. In the US, two albums charted in low positions um in the lower two hundreds. Um with the Stone Roses as their main album, and the second coming staggered at eighty six and forty seven. So I've never heard of them. When I first read it, I was like, Does that say the Stone Roses? Like I tip nothing. That doesn't register in my brain at all. Yeah, it was I think they, they were most popular maybe early nineties, late eighties, probably early nineties. 
And it was one mm-hmm. of those acts that you would hear and see. And it was around the time I was discovering more guitar-based music. So mm. I probably wasn't listening to the Stone Roses, but certainly the name was out there. I was hearing it occasionally on Capital Radio. Um, but yeah, it, it, was, it was a name that they were, they were a thing and they were big. Interesting. So here's what they say, what went wrong self-sabotage, intentional or otherwise. Frontman Ian Brown insisted that America doesn't deserve us, which I think is a weird thing to say, but all right. The band stipulated they didn't want to tour in America until they could find the most enormous she stadium in New York. So until they could fill it, let me say this, so they could fill the best enormous stadium they could find. So they didn't tour their first album. Simon Spence, author of the book, The Stone Roses, War and Peace, told um, the second coming came out. It had five years. They went to L.A., did a promotion. It went terribly. They like to be loved in America, but it was like a, I don't want to say this, F you, if you don't like us, we don't like you type situation. So America didn't really recept it very well. So they went to the classic, like kind of punk rock type of thing. Well, if you don't like us, we don't like you. Yeah, absolutely. And then it all went downhill. Um, But anyway, they said in the UK they were adored. So there we go. I've never heard that before, and I will go out of my way to find it. Now, so I picked those two bands as an example of two things that didn't really make it in America. Mm-hmm. I have two bands that are American that didn't make it in the UK. Let's see where oh. this is going. And one that I think Tim has mentioned before, the Dave Matthews band. Yeah, D- Dave Matthews from Richmond, Virginia. My friend Kirk Farmer actually is friends with Dave Matthews. And I think he mixed some of his shows as a sound engineer very mm-hmm. early on in Dave Matthews' career. Obviously, Dave Matthews is originally from South Africa, but he resides yeah. in Richmond, Virginia. Um it's someone who who has a cult following in the mm-hmm. in the UK. Maybe he has a bigger following now, but certainly prior to moving here, I was not really aware of Dave Matthews. So what's interesting to me about Dave Matthews is Joy helped set up their satellite radio, which he used to work at the XM Call Center. True story. So his manager called into the call center in good old Charlotte, Virginia. <laughs> so where they're at Charlotte, right? Where in uh, Virginia are they, Tim? I, I thought they were from Richmond. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Somewhere in Virginia, his manager called. And what's funny is they're supposed to send, like, celebrities to a certain queue, and they got routed wrong, and I got them. And then I realized I was setting up XM Radio for the Dave Matthews band. True story. Um, with that being said, so, like, they're kind of like a jam band with maybe, like, a scoff player kind of thing. So, in America, um, you know, they're pretty popular. They've sold more than 90 million albums, um, 100 million gig tickets since they began in the early 1990s. But in the UK, in 1995, when the band was touring, the huge selling under the table and dreaming, they played a marquee in London, a venue with a capacity of only a few hundred, and maybe 30 people showed up. A few weeks later, one British newspaper interviewed Matthews, underlined the point by photographing him, adoring crowds. Um but the crowd was like three people. Apparently it was in front of Eros statue in Piccadilly. I don't know if you know what that is, Tim, but yeah, there was so only er- like three people. Eros, Eros is a famous statue right in the middle of Piccadilly circus. And it's like pulling a thing. It's, it's a, it's a statue. So was there usually a lot of people around? Cause they said in the photo, there was only like three people. Yeah. I mean that t- um, middle of Piccadilly circus day or night, it's like Piccadilly Circus. 
in so much as that there is thousands of yeah (laughs) thousands of people everywhere now one thing i would just like to speak to is the marquee club in london now how many people Mm. did you say was at the marquee club like 30. okay so i played the marquee club once i played there on a sunday night there was about Mm. four bands on the bill um the previous week, the band BBM had played there, which was effectively Cream, but with Gary Moore on guitar instead of Eric Clapton. The I day before, I think the day before we played there was um, Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses' solo band that he plays guitar in. He played there like the day before. Okay. And I can honestly say there was probably more than 30 people there when I played there. Well, you beat the day back, you spanned <laughs> in 95. Because sadly, they did that little thing in the marquee in London, and then they took the picture for the Piccadilly Circus. And it was, they said the reason that it, what went wrong is for some reason it just didn't, it just didn't register with people in the UK. It was just the, the band sound, whatever, just, they don't really know. It just didn't work. Yeah, stoner jam bands in the UK, certainly at the time, were not popular. Likewise, likewise the Grateful Dead. I mean, yeah. that that is such an iconic force in music in the United States. And sure, there are deadheads in the UK, but I, it's not something that the average person on the street would have heard of. You know what's weird is I just realized we really haven't talked about the Grateful Dead at all on this podcast. No, I'm not really a massive Grateful Dead fan. I like... You well, maybe, we knew they are. Yeah, I maybe like a dozen of their songs. I mean, I've got most of their albums. But, I mean, the thing is with the Grateful Dead, it's this whole bootleg trade tape trading mm. community thing where people even now, long after the Dead have stopped playing, I mean, yeah, there's a band called The Dead, which has John Mayer in it. But, the, you know, the Jerry Garcia era Grateful Dead, the, the proper thing, they release, yeah. you know, so many albums, but all the fans will tell you what you need to get into is all the bootlegs and people trade them. It's, oh, this from 76 is, oh, it's a 52-minute version of this, and that's what people love. If, you know, if you're into that world, people love those those impromptu jams and that every show would be different. Well, what seems to be a thing in Southern America, I don't know that you're across the, I know very many people who have the little bears at tattoos. Mm-hmm. Like they just seem to be popular. It's just to show you're a deadhead. And it's a little bear with his little, you know, outfit on or whatever. And he's got the little collar. And so I know at least probably two or three people who have a deadhead tattoo. Mm-hmm. But I imagine that's probably not something you see in the UK very often. No. And then likewise, Don Henley's uh, Boys of Summer, there's that, that line that says, I was out on the road today and I saw a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. I mm-hmm. can tell you when that song came out, I had no idea what it was referencing. Oh, Interesting. A little voice inside my head. That's not related. But anyway, that'll be in my head for the next. I hadn't thought about that song in a long time, Tim. Thanks. Um, that'll be in my head for the next six weeks. <laughs> and when the Ataris covered it, so just, they said, yeah. out on the road today, I saw a black flag sticker uh, on sticker. a Cadillac. Mm-hmm. And I like both their versions, though. Yeah. Maybe that's controversial, but I liked both versions. All right. So back to the music. So here's another person that Tim will actually um, talk love, and he may or may not know this coming from both kind of perspectives, but Jewel was one that popped up as not registering in the UK, but very popular in America. Yeah, Jewel Zero in the UK. Again, maybe popular now with streaming and and mm-hmm. uh, DAB radio and all that kind of stuff. I had never even heard of the name Jewel before I lived here. 
So here's kind of just the history and what they think went wrong and that kind of stuff. So Alaskan singer Jewel went from coffee shop performer, which she's very much the coffee shop performer you think of, to bona, to bona fide chart sensation in the mid-1990s. Releasing the debut album, Pieces of You, in 1995, it became one of the biggest selling albums of all time in the U.S., shifting over, I'm sorry, shift, yeah, um, selling over 8 million copies, but in the U.K., Jules Brand of Folk found a less receptive. The album didn't even break the top 75. Yeah, it would again, wouldn't surprise me. It said not not a name that was on my radar, and I'm sure it's probably not a name that's on many people's radar at this point. Once again, they don't really have a reason why, besides they just said the folk music thing in the 90s, which kind of makes sense if you think about the Dave Matthews thing, too. They're very similar artists, Tim. So maybe it just didn't register, but it didn't register. They said that... Um, the lack of success didn't lead to too many sleepless nights. In 1998, Jules' debut book of poetry, A Night Without Armor, topped the New York Times um, charts and sold a million copies as well. I didn't even know she had a book of poetry. No, I, I didn't know that. I mean, I know of her uh, music successes and her origins, etc. but no, I didn't know that. Well, and Jewel is one of those people. So there's a genre from the 90s. And that's kind of what I was saying, this kind of folksy thing that I think of that Jewel falls under. It's kind of like Jewel, Sheryl Crow, Fiona Apple. There's this kind of like quintessential 90s sound that I kind of put them in together. Does that mm -hmm. make sense, Tim? Mm -hmm. And so I kind of see how the Dave Matthews, I like kind of put Dave Matthews with like, Hootie and the Blowfish before he went country. You know what I mean? Things like that. That genre sticks together. And I think of the females and the males kind of as the counterparts. So I see how maybe that didn't. Was Hootie and the Blowfish popular in the UK? Or Fiona mm, Apple or anything not, like that? Not really. I, I tell you what, during that time, what was big in the UK was Britpop. Blur, Oasis. Oh, yeah. And all that all the various offshoots of that world. And maybe that was taking and, over. And radio that, that's what people were into at that time. They were not into that kind of folksy thing that you say. Um, Cheryl Crow was the breakthrough, though. Cheryl, Cheryl the amazing mm. Cheryl Crow, somehow broke through all that and and uh, Tuesday Night Music Club and all that. Her all the stuff that she released around that time was popular. But so, those other artists you speak of didn't really break through. So what about like Alanis Morissette? She's the queen. Oh, Was she yeah, popular like, in the UK? Absolutely. I mean, okay. I mean, she's Canadian as well. But um, that's true. Well, I'm, I'm North America. Okay, we're we're targeting the more North American area. There we go. <laughs> Gosh, Tim, make me feel it. So here's a question for Tim. I learned something that I thought was the most random bit of knowledge while doing this and you're going to be shocked to hear this i think the greatest selling album by a u.s artist in the uk ever the scissor sisters really their debuted out yes which i love the scissor sisters but they're not even a main like they're not even a huge band but the greatest selling u.s album in the uk is the scissor sisters their debut album which is the self-entitled one so from a from a US band, not from a US solo artist. Yes, from a US band, not a US solo artist. Yeah, that's. I think you think that the Eagles would have sold more. I I, I don't I don't know. I mean that the Scissors the Scissor Sisters first album was pretty big. I mean that was early two thousands, and I remember them playing that their version of Comfortably Long Numb and. Um, 
take your mama out tonight and all that, all that stuff from the physicists. But the fact that it sold that well, I don't know. I find that hard to, uh, hard to believe. Because, I mean, it was early 2000s, right? So, I mean, it's not even that long ago, but, which I say that, but that's like 20 years ago or something crazy. Tim, we're old now. But anyway, so <laughs> with that being said, that was just so weird to me when I read that because, I mean, but think of like the Kylie Minogue's and things of that time in the early 2000s that were popular in the UK. Mm-hmm. The Scissor Sisters fit into that so well. Like, honestly, I'm not even sure I knew the Scissor Sisters were Scissor Sisters. Oh, God, it's like a tongue tot, a tongue twister. <laughs> the Scissor Sisters were American. I'm not even sure I knew that until I looked this up. I had no clue. I mean, I, I know their songs and I know who they are, but they almost sound to me as an American, like a UK band. Yeah, I I was not completely sure whether they were a UK band or a US band, to be perfectly honest with you, because I don't know anything yeah. much about the Scissor Sisters. Other than I don't think they're sisters, I don't think. <laughs> no, I think that's a play on words, Tim, that we're not going to get into, but anyway. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But I mean... The only song I really know is I don't feel like dancing. But like there's one song I associate with the Scissor Sisters. So like for me, I don't I know they have a few other songs, but they're not major artists. But I will say I don't think I knew they were American because they do the more I started thinking about that pop period in two thousands where the Kylie Minogue kind of sound was popular in the UK, it makes sense, right? It does. And, you know, I think I know why they were so popular. Certainly I was Mm -hmm. aware of this. So early 2000s was when most people had a computer at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, Windows 98 comes out in 98 and then you got Windows 2000. But certainly by early 2000s, most people have a computer. And also at that point, most people had broadband Internet access. Too, because okay. prior to that, everyone else was dialing up and the connection was so stupidly slow. And so the technology that you had at the time with computers and the fact that most people had broadband internet access, the Scissor Sisters had this sort of viral clip of oh. I don't feel like dancing. And what you could do is that exactly you could drop your heads that. and you and your friends' heads into this little video of the Scissor Sisters, and then it would all dance and it was your friends' heads dancing around, and the music it's a little was whole face things, yeah, yeah. And the music was the Scissor Sisters. So I think it was like a very early viral hit, yeah. And that translated into physical CD sales because obviously at the beginning of the early two thousands, you didn't have the iTunes Store, you didn't mm-hmm. have streaming anything. YouTube was still in its infancy, and it wasn't really full of music. And if it was, they were ripping it off there as soon as you could put it up. So it translated into CD sales. So I'm not surprised thinking about all that stuff that maybe they were bigger than I thought they were. I mean, maybe, and it's just hard to know because I mean, it's just a different time than we are now. But I, looking back, when I heard that statistic at first, I was like, whoa, no, I don't get it. And then I started thinking it over, and I'm like, well, and for whatever reason, Tib, and maybe I'm stereotyping, but dance music is very popular in the UK as a whole. Mm-hmm. You guys seem to have a big hold on the dance music thing. So I also think that probably transcended a little bit too. Yeah. Like I've said many times before, certainly with – AM FM radio before I left, even up to like 2011 when I left, you mm-hmm. put any commercial radio station on, all they're going to play is dance music. 
Yeah. The, the, that's that's pretty much the playlist. And I remember one time in the car with Hannah and I said, I said, look, I said, all these stations play the same stuff. And she says, no, they don't. Where's your country? Where's your classic rock? I said, no, let's go through the dial. And it was like news, news, classical. And then there's like top 40 um, dance, top 40 dance, top 40 dance, top, top 40 dance. And that's all it is. Well, I mean, to be fair, American radio stations have their own section of that. If you put on um, our favorite classic rock station, Tim, you would get the same Tim gut. You should say Tim, same Tim Guns and Roses and Journey screaming at you. So, yeah, I know, but I'd rather I'd rather have uh, mandatory Metallica <laughs> than some kind of techno techno music. I mean, but that's just me. I think it just depends on my mood. All right, so we've got a little bit more time. I'm just going to throw a few little facts out there that I. I will say I'm completely lost on this. It's so Wings, the band Wings. We know who Wings is, Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mole of Kentrick, K-I-N-T-Y. Have you ever heard of a song called Mole of K-I-N-T-Y-R-E? Yeah, Mole of Kintyre. Fine. He's laughing at me. What's the top selling um, song in the UK in the 70s? But it's never, like, it didn't even chart in America. Yeah, I've it's got ba- it. it's got bagpipes on it. I I actually have a very definite Mull of Kintyre um, memory. <laughs> so the very first time me and my mum went to Harrods in yeah. London because uh, we wanted to go to Harrods because it's the top people's store and all that kind of stuff. You know, iconic store that I'm sure everyone has heard of Harrods. And mm-hmm. we went to the music department because, uh, like you do, and it was not what I expected. It was just full of pianos and things like that. I was expecting like this, all these amazing guitars and stuff, but no, it was just some pianos and saxophones and things and huge amount of sheet music, just sheet music everywhere. And I really wanted a Harrods bag, you know, a green (laughs) iconic Harrods bag like you do. As one does. So we went in there and I looked through and I found they had the sheet music to Mulligan Tire. And I don't know how expensive it was. Probably wasn't that expensive. So, so we that buy- was the music you bought. You never told me what the song was. Yeah. So we bought the sheet music to Mulligan Tire. And then I get home <laughs> and I've got a Casio keyboard. This was before I could play guitar properly or anything. <laughs> got my casio keyboard and i'm following the little chord boxes and i'm yeah. making the chord sounds and i vaguely half played mile of kintyre so i've heard this story from tim but he never said what the song was so now it all comes full circle everybody so that's um apparently did never chart in america but you want to hear something funny tim this is probably gonna make you sad and happy at the same time. You're gonna laugh. The B side of Girls School received more airtime and reached number 33 on the American charts than Wings did. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> is that depressing? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so another one was okay. I have a story about this song. Are you familiar with the song You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone? No. You okay, so it's horrible. It's like I'm sorry, Debbie, if you're listening, but I have very much PTSD of this song because it's like it's very whiny and she's like, You light up my life, like that kind of sound, right? Think of every song you can think of that sounds close to that. So anyway, <laughs> it was a number one song. It was the top selling song of the 70s, our quit our equivalent of the wing song. Didn't even chart in the UK. Not even like didn't go anywhere in the UK. So anyway. Uh, with that being said, when I worked at Kroger, 
um, as an HR man, HR person there, I had to sit in the back of the store in my little office away from the sales floor, Kroger's a grocery store for those who don't know, or K Roger, or what is it? Our UK friends know it as the guy who works at the. Well, it's where Chad works. Chad. Yes. Where Chad works, that grocery store. I worked at one of them and I was sitting there and they played that song all the time, Tim. Maybe about every 10 songs I had to hear, you light up my life, like that. And it's like, it's just so whiny. But I didn't know at the time, it was the greatest selling song of the 70s in the U.S. Hmm. I'm surprised you haven't heard it. I don't know that Debbie Boone has any other songs. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've never heard her name. It may be a song that I've heard, but I didn't associate the title or the name. You probably won't never want to hear it again. So, but it was number one for ten weeks in the seventies. If anybody was wondering, uh, but if anybody wants to go look it up, <laughs> her last name is B O O N E. I will go. never do that again. It can go up there with uh, "I Can Go Burn Miles." In. I never want to hear that song again. The other song that Kroger ruined me of is that stupid John Fogerty. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play today. Do you know the song, Tim? Mm-hmm. I could never hear that song again, and I would live a good life. Every time it, so those three songs played on, re, it was always, I could go for miles and miles and miles of who. You Light Up My Life by Darn Debbie Boone, and Put Me in Coach by whatever, <laughs> is it field, center field, field play? I don't know, baseball. It's center baseball. field. It's center field. There you go. That song by Mr. John Fogarty with his chops. I can never hear it again, and I'd be fine. <laughs> do you have any songs like that tim when you worked in like retail that you would never that you had to hear on repeat well when i worked in retail i worked for super drug which is a mm-hmm. uk chain which is like cvs yeah and when i first started working there when i was 16 years old they had muzak and it was supplied by a company called rediffusion and mm-hmm. it was copyright free songs that went like elevator music yeah like that and it was terrible and they used to use it because it was copyright free and they didn't have to pay like a performing rights license or anything like that and maybe the first year or two they had that going and then i think they had like a change of management somewhere somewhere up the chain and they wanted to get away from this very old-fashioned supermarket type thing late 80s or sort of 70s and 80s type thing so yeah. uh, so an edict came down from head office that you had to unplug the um the music <laughs> machine and that was the end of that so all the time i worked there they had no music playing and in fact i ended up being the assistant manager in the richmond branch not richmond virginia but richmond surrey branch and mm-hmm. they didn't have any music there at all and i am <laughs> you know many years later i think what happened is that a lot of these organizations and um companies decided to have proper music playing and that's what they do now but all my retail years were not blighted by burning being burnt out on music so i will say what's interesting about kroger is they had about five radio stations quote unquote right Mm -hmm. and you could send an email to corporate to whatever radio station you wanted but only the store manager could do it and i remember though right around the super bowl like two or three years, whatever, whatever, I don't even know, like maybe whenever I worked there, two or three years into working there, there was a stupid jingle and it would go avocados for Mexico because I had to hear it because they were trying to sell guacamole around the Super Bowl in America. <laughs> and that was the advertisement. 
And I had heard avocados from Mexico on repeat at least seven times an hour, Tim, for going on what felt like three months. So I'm sitting here watching, and I could care less about the Super Bowl, like the actual Super Bowl. But my friends were over, so you're just watching the commercials and the halftime show. That's all I care about. And so I remember, though, out of nowhere, the stupid jingle comes on during the Super Bowl. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't even get away from it at home. (laughs) And so now my brain randomly, every time I buy an avocado now, I go, avocados from Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Retail, it'll do it to you guys. It will do it to you. All right. So let's go back to, um, I feel like we have like one or two little more things to say. So what's interesting, though, and I was reading this and they were talking, this is kind of just an interesting history. I kind of want to leave it at. So there's two things. Uh, One, something in the way you look tonight, Candle in the Wind versus from Elton John is the number one UK song, which you discussed. And then me and Tim discuss this very often. Number in America, the number one is Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is, is if you look in, um, America, the second song is Elton John's Candle in the Wind from the Marilyn Monroe version. But then in the UK, it's a bunch of, it's also Christmas music. Christmas music really seems to transcend in both, but it's different. Like, the, what's that one song that you always talk about that I have no clue what it is, but it's like everywhere's? Yes, yeah, Slade's Merry Christmas, Everybody is an iconic Christmas song that you cannot escape during the Christmas period. It is it's everywhere. And like even mm-hmm. local bands cover it. I was like number so- three. Yeah. And then I remember when Hannah started to live with me and it came up one Christmas and she's like, what's this? And I was like, this is the greatest Christmas song ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's great. but And so, I mean, but it was just number three. So I thought it was funny that, you know, that kind of transcend. And when you're looking at the chart, one of the other ones was a sad status quo song which tends to win on his status quo thing for whatever status quo as he says mm-hmm. uk people um, <laughs> but anyway so that was really interesting to me but one thing that i thought was super kind of just like a little fact i want to leave them with kind of just to end it all it says the rolling stones and led zeppelin have always admitted their take on music was american rhythm and blues which i thought was interesting and even the beatles say that hit do you know what the Beatles started out doing? Chuck Berry covers. Yeah, well um, at the very at the very beginning when they were the Silver Beatles, they mm-hmm. were a skiffle band. And then they sort of moved into that sort of uh, rhythm and blues music that was popularized by Chuck Berry and what have you. But so that was kind of interesting because it's kind of hints on American artists and you're sitting there thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe it goes both ways. But then on a flip side, I learned about three artists that I didn't know, the white stripes. We, we know who they are. Mm-hmm. The Strokes, we know who they are. And Kings of Leon, which is not a band me and Tim probably listen to that on, but we know who they are. Did you know they made it in the UK before they made it in America? Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me because they're, they're, they're sort of rock, but they're not a rock band. It's like guitar-based mm-hmm. music, but it's not like classic rock or Metallica-style rock. But it's, it's like guitar-y pop music, if you like, I suppose. That was very popular in the UK in the 90s, that that kind of genre of music. So it doesn't surprise me that they found great success in the UK market before the US market. But so I just want to leave it at that to say it goes both ways, depending on who you're looking at, what their history is. But what's interesting and what I found consistently upon doing all this research, Tim, it all goes back to 
rhythm and blues, regardless of who it is, what country it is. It all goes back to the African-American roots and the rhythm and blues and the church. It seems to be that, that that's pretty much where a lot of the music that we like today all came from. It's all offshoots from that. Elvis to the Beatles to everyone else in between. It seems to be a thing. So with that being said, Tim, that's where I'll leave it. I mean, it's not really what's right or what's wrong. It's just really interesting to go through that history and see some of this. So do you have anything you want to leave the people with, Tim? For 2023, people, just be extra kind to everyone. I'll say the same. Extra kind. Bye. Bye. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.